0: Section 32 of Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Old and New Masters by Robert Lind. Chapter 24. Mr. J. C. Squire it would not have been easy a few years ago to foresee the achievement of mr squire as a poet he labored under the disadvantage of also being a wit it used to be said of ibsen that a pegasus had once been shot under him and one was alarmed lest the reverse of this was about to happen to mr squire and lest a writer who began in the gaiety of the comic spirit should end soberly astride pegasus when in tricks of the trade he announced that he was going to write no more parodies one had a depressed feeling that he was about to give up to poetry what was meant for mankind yet on reading mr squire's collected poems in poems first series it is difficult not to admit that it was to write serious verse even more than parody and political epigram that he was born he has arranged the poems in the book in the order of their composition, so that we can follow the development of his powers and see him, as it were, learning to fly. To read him is again and again to be reminded of Donne. Like Donne, he is largely self-occupied, examining the horrors of his own soul, overburdened at times with thought, and intellect at odds with the spirit. Like Dunn, he will have none of them merely poetic, either in music or in imagery. He beats out a music of his own, and he beats out an imagery of his own. In his early work, this sometimes resulted in his poems being unable to rise far from the ground. They seem to be laboring on unaccustomed wings towards the ether. What other living poet has ever given a poem such a title as antinomies on a railway station? What other has examined himself with the same X-rays sort of realism as Mr. Squire has done in The Mind of Man? The latter, like many of Mr. Squire's poems, is an expression of fastidious disgust with life. The early Mr. Squire was a master of disgust, and we see the same mood dominant even in the Ode in a Restaurant. Where the poet suddenly breaks out, Soul, this life is very strange, and circumstances very foul attend the belly's stormy howl. The ode, however, is not merely or even primarily an expression of disgust. Here, too, we see Mr. Squire's passion for romance and energy. Here, too, we see him as a fisherman of strange imagery. AS WHEN HE DESCRIBES THE SOUNDS OF THE RESTAURANT BAND AS THEY FLOAT IN UPON HIM FROM ANOTHER ROOM AND DIE AGAIN, LIKE KEEN-DRAWN THREADS OF INK DROPPED INTO A GLASS OF WATER, WHICH CURL AND RELAX AND SOFTEN AND PASS. THE ODE IN A RESTAURANT IS PERHAPS THE SUMMIT OF MR. SQUIRE'S WRITING AS A POET AT ODDS WITH HIMSELF a poet who floats above the obscene and dull realities of every day like a draggled seagull over dreary flats of mud he has already escaped into bluer levels in the poem on a friend recently dead written in the same or the following year here he ceases to be a poet floating and bumping against a ceiling he is now ranging the heaven of the emancipated poets even when he writes of the common and prosaic things he now charges them with significance for the emotions he is no longer a satirist and philosopher but a lover how well he conjures up the picture of the room in which his friend used to sit and talk capricious friend here in this room not long before the end here in this very room six months ago you poised your foot and joked and chuckled so. Beyond the window shook the ash-tree bough. You saw books, pictures, as I see them now. The sofa then was blue. The telephone listened upon the desk and softly shone even as now the fire-irons in the grate. And the little brass pendulum swung, a seal of fate stamping the minutes. And the curtains on window and door, Just moved in the air, and on the dark boards of the floor, these same discreetly colored rugs were lying, and then you never had a thought of dying. How much richer, too, by this time, Mr. Squire's imagery has become. His observation is both exact and imaginative when he notes how the frail ash tree hisses with a soft sharpness like a fall of mounded grain. Elsewhere in the same poem, Mr. Squire has given us a fine new image of the brevity of man's life. And I, I see myself as one of a heap of stones, wedded a moment to life as the flying wave goes over. It was not, however, till The Lily of Maloud appeared that readers of poetry in general realized that Mr. Squire was a poet of the imagination, even more than of the intellect. This is a flower that has blossomed out of the vast swamps of the anthropologists. It is the song of the ritual of initiation. Mr. Squire's power in the sphere both of the grotesque and of lovely imagery is revealed in the triumphant close of this poem. And the surly, thick-lipped men, as they sit about their huts making drums out of guts, grunting gruffly now and then, carving sticks of ivory, stretching shields of wrinkled skin, smoothing sinister and thin squatting gods of ebony, chip and grunt and do not see. But each mother, silently, longer than her wont, stays shut in the dimness of her hut, For she feels a brooding cloud of memory in the air, a lingering thing there that makes her sit bowed with hollow shining eyes as the night-fire dies, and stare softly at the ember and try to remember something sorrowful and far, something sweet and vaguely seen like an early evening star when the sky is pale green, a quiet silver tower that climbed in an hour or a ghost like a flower, or a flower like a queen, something holy in the past that came and did not last, but she knows not what it was. It is easy to see in the last lines that Mr. Squire has escaped finally from the idealist's disgust to the idealist's exaltation he has learned to express the beautiful mystery of life and he is no longer haunted in his nerves by the ugliness of circumstances not that he has shut himself up in an enchanted world he still remains a poet of this agonizing earth in the stronghold he summons up a vision of easeful death only to turn aside from it as christian turned aside from the temptations on his way but oh if you find that castle draw back your foot from the gateway let not its peace invite you let not its offerings tempt you for faded and decayed like a garment love to a dust will have fallen and song and laughter will have gone with sorrow and hope will have gone with pain and of all the throbbing hearts high courage nothing will remain and these later poems are not only nobler in passion than the early introspective work they are also more moving few of the in memoriam poems of the war touch the heart as does that poem to a bulldog with its moving clothes and though you run expectant as you always do to the uniforms we meet You will never find Willie among all the soldiers, even in the longest street, nor in any crowd. Yet, strange and bitter thought, even now were the old words said. If I tried the old trick and said, Where's Willie? You would quiver and lift your head, and your brown eyes would look to ask if I was serious, and wait for the word to spring. Sleep undisturbed. I shan't say that again, you innocent old thing. I must sit, not speaking, on the sofa while you lie there asleep on the floor, for he's suffered a thing that dogs couldn't dream of, and he won't be coming here any more. Of the new poems in the book, one of the most beautiful is August Moon the last verses provide an excellent example of mr squire's gift both as a painter of things and a creator of atmosphere a golden half-moon in the sky and broken gold in the water in the water tranquilly severing joining gold three or four little plates of gold on the river A little motion of gold between the dark images of two tall posts that stand in the gray water. A woman's laugh and children going home. A whispering couple leaning over the railings. And somewhere, a little splash as a dog goes in. I have always known all this. It has always been. There is no change anywhere. Nothing will ever change i heard a story a crazy and tiresome myth listen behind the twilight a deep low sound like the constant shutting of very distant doors doors that are letting people over there out to some other place beyond the end of the sky the contrast between the beauty of the stillness of the moonlit world and the insane intrusion of the war into it has not i think been suggested so expressively in any other poem. Now that these poems have been collected into a single volume, it is possible to measure the author's stature. His book will, I believe, come as a revelation to the majority of readers. A poet of original music, of an original mind, of an original imagination, Mr. Squire has now taken a secure place among the men of genius of to-day. Poems first series is a literary treasure so novel and so abundant that I can no longer regret, as I once did, that Mr. Squire has said farewell to the brilliant, lighter-hearted moods of Steps to Parnassus and Tricks of the Trade. He has brought us gifts better even than those. End of section thirty two. Recording by Lucretia B.